All right, we'll start on that note. Whoops. <laughs> and we're back after... Marlon got his voice back. Yeah. It's been a long month. Because um, I was sick for, like, how long? Oh, it's going on five weeks. Well, I think I'm, like, better now. You still have, like, a cough, but your voice is back. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I got and put just on. Don't like to listen about going to the doctor, but no, that's okay. And then we went on vacation, which was nice, mm-hmm. and that was good. That was needed. Yeah, that was needed. Just some mental clarity. Yeah, and I think like you just run, you run for a while, especially after being sick, and like you just gotta shut everything down and stop. Yeah. But of course, like while I'm on vacation, uh, Israel gets invaded <laughs> by Hamas, and <laughs> yeah, of course. When you go on vacation. You know, yeah. I had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Just I want to put that out there to make sure that <laughs> the air is clear. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't do anything. Wink. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> They're going to send people after you now. What? What? No, they won't. We don't need What are you going to do, catch a back. magical wizard? <laughs> That'd be impossible. Mm-hmm. Impossible. Yeah. And I got my sense of humor back. It's at, like, full jackassery mode. Yeah, it is. <laughs> He's been, like, mm. it's been a struggle. And then you got me sick for a minute. And I yeah. was like, okay, we can't both be sick, so get your ass to the doctor. And then, uh, yeah, your body just kicked it kicked it kicked off. Kicked it the fuck, yeah. I tried to take you down with me. It didn't work. I'm just built different. Yeah. Yeah, you have a different build than I do. Especially, like, you're not as tall as me. <laughs> yeah. my The germs are more compact in there. It's easier to get to the germs. My germs are, like, spread out. Yeah, you're quite a bit taller than I am, so. Yeah. And better looking. I'm just... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. You're the beautiful one out Jackass. of this relationship. I'm the one that Jackassery if you is... look at me, like either you're gonna think I walk on water or or you're gonna go blind on sight. So I mean oh my gosh. take that as you want. Yeah. But no, we missed you guys. Um glad to be back. Did we miss them though? I did. Oh. <laughs> okay. I wanted you to do the pod and that's why I was pressuring you to go to the doctor. And I and c- you were like, I couldn't no, talk. it's just allergies. I'm okay. And I was like, you're close to having bronchitis. Get your ass to the doctor. Then they put me on a lot of drugs. Yeah. Because Gwen was right. Yeah, Doesn't they put me on a big battery. Gwen was right. Gwen was... Right. Right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, but hard. you're feeling better now. Yeah, I've I feel a lot better, and to have like that energy and mental clarity, as you said, I mean that's part of the problem too. Is like it actually because since I didn't go to bed till about three a.m. last night, I was laughing about that in my head. Not I know you weren't laughing about it because I woke you up many times, many times. <laughs> yes, but um, I was I was laughing about it in retrospect because. I actually stop on vacation, right? Like, I really put things down. And then I start back up, and I realize how much energy I I have 
that you built up that yeah. I've built up and I can just I you can like, just go for fucking forever but it doesn't I I think about it I'm like I'm like that wasn't the first time I do that like every time I, I go on vacation and I come back I just the first night the insomnia is terrible because I don't I have too much energy still yeah you need your brain to be stimulated in 700 different ways. I'm a scampy little oh whiz. Oh my gosh, don't say you're scampy. What's scampy mean? I'm a precocious little <laughs> whiz, aren't I? You're 673 years old. Oh my gosh. Not too bad. Not too shabby. Call yourself scampy. That's funny. Not skanky. Scampy. You said scampy. Yeah. Like I said scampy. Muddy. Like a little bit of a mutt. You know? Okay. I I've been thinking about this pod I, a lot. Yeah. And the more time that passed as it went on, the more like I have so my brain is a little bit fucked and I'm not just talking about like the dyslexia. You know? You just think it's gonna it's not be just, just like a mosh pit of just stuff tonight. Yeah. Well yeah. sort of that and like you cut me off right of my joke. My joke was it's not just like reassembling words in there, like, you know, <laughs> replacing letters with shit. You know what I was doing the other day? I was staring at a chart and I think you finish your thought. Yeah. It's gonna loop. Okay. You were looking at a chart. I was looking at a chart the other day and one said one chart said one twenty nine. This one said one twenty six. I look up like to identify where the line where the line currently was at. I look up and I go that can't be right. Um, both li- both lines are like three apart. Like they're so far apart from each other. Why do they both say one twenty nine and they're the same color? And I like kept looking up and down and looking up and down, and then and then like I kind of like stepped away for a second. Or I looked at something else and I looked back, and then I went I went I looked at the numbers again. I went one twenty nine one twenty six. Wait a second. What the? Why did I think that it was? 120, like 129. 129, 129. Yeah. Because you're dyslexic. Because I'm dyslexic. <laughs> there you go. It back to my mental. <laughs> there we go. We, we brought it back we in. We brought it back in. So, like, I, part of it is that I really struggle with perfectionism. Like, I, I like to talk about the stack and, like, what I go through doing with the stack because... I think it's the most relatable to the people listening to the podcast because mm-hmm. if I talk about other things that are going on in my life, right? If I talk about like what I'm doing with the fund or like if I talk about like what I'm doing with you or or like in like how I'm going through it, I don't think people can't connect the dots necessarily as yeah. easily. Like do you think that that kind of like tracks, right? Yeah, I can see. Yeah. Yeah. So with like the stack, like part of the problem, like I'm such a perfectionist in my head. So, like, I get worried about, like, you know, my posts and, like, how they're how they're doing. It's not so much, like, I think I've explained this before. I don't really, like, I, I, I obviously I want the feedback to be positive and, like, hearing nice comments, like, completely makes my day. And I love seeing people grow and, like, and, like, helping them and stuff. But, you know, if someone was to tell me my post is shit, I'd be like, fuck off, man. You know, I don't, care. I don't yeah. give a fuck. Yeah. But if in my own mind, I think the post is shit, 
I like agonize over it. Yeah. Right. And it just builds and it builds and like it builds into the next post and it'll build into the next post. And I have to like stop myself and just look for like and like almost like reset where like my my feedback loop is mm-hmm. and make sure like, like I it always is so silly when I give out this advice, but I always try to make sure like am I talking to myself in a way that a loving friend would talk to my talk to me mm-hmm. and but with the podcast so I had anxiety doing the pot like starting up this podcast tonight because I want it like it's been building in my head for three weeks four weeks and over time like it's like it has to be more perfect and you have to really want to talk about the markets and it better be a knockout podcast like you really better knock people off your off right, their feet because you're keeping people waiting because you've been keeping them waiting and it better have been yeah. worth the time that they were waiting yeah right or else like like what's the point of of having the stack yeah right then um all that to say is i'm bored as fuck trying to talk about the markets <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i like and there's been so much I've wanted to say at different times, like where it's, it's been fascinating and enthralling. And I felt so much passion to like, really like speak my mind. And I couldn't speak two words. Is this a farewell? I'm so confused. Yeah, I'm about to jump off a fucking bridge. Did they, you don't think they hear it in the background? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? No, no, I just think that like, like hopefully this is interesting, but I think it's interesting to hear about like the more vulnerable side of like no, it is yeah. what goes on, right? But you just said that you're done talking about the stocks. No, I just was saying that like I was like it's exhausting. Why can't I come back on a note, like on a note where the market's roaring and there's so much like to talk about? And, oh yeah, you know, there's something that I feel passionate about specifically with the markets because I watched today. Today was boring, you know? <laughs> yeah. I can see the funds moving, the mechanisms, and, like, cranking the wheels and, like, slowly turning into their positions, right? And, um, you know, you think you got an idea of what they're going to do, but, man, like, it's way easier to talk about it after, you know, you've been observing it and you actually see it go through, right? Yeah. Because or else I just sound like a jackass talking about you know, things that I think are happening and they never happen. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Right. And, um, I think, so like I looked at the markets today and within 30 minutes I knew, oh, they're just trying to bait people to go long here. They're actually going to, they're going to burn the theta and it's going to be a boring day. Right. And then I'm like, well, I have a podcast tonight. What the hell am I supposed to talk about with that podcast? for you know for like what was the dynamics of the market today and all that stuff because honestly some days nothing fucking happens there really isn't much happening i was told this story once like a filler day yeah sometimes they're filler days i mean like i joked about it on thursday i said hey today's my last day and then i'm i'm out right and i closed out we closed out everything on on friday and you know markets were open monday but from Friday to Monday, I didn't really miss anything. Yeah. Right? By the time I got back on Tuesday, I still caught the whole ride up. Pretty much. Mm-hmm. You know? 
Yeah. Left the swing on and, and just let it rip. Yeah. But over those like four or five days, how much Actually, like for like a lot of like younger traders, like you do need that time. You do need to build that like confidence that, you know, nothing's going to happen because you don't understand how to differentiate days where I can identify in the first 30 minutes, nothing's going to happen. And, you know, days where something is going to happen within the first 30 or the first hour. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's why I watch over the first hour, right? It's because, and I try to stay as true to it as I can. I, I think I'm pretty good at it, you know? And, you know, sometimes trends are very obvious and sometimes they aren't. And sometimes when the trends aren't obvious, it's a signal. You just got to sit on your hands and just sit there. Yeah. And, you know, you need something else to do while you're trading, actually. Like, people are like, yeah, you should go full time trading. And it makes sense. And you should just watch charts all day. And what I was about to get to was somebody told me a story once that was super interesting. It was, it was, um, and I'm, and, checked out the guy later and I, I eventually met him and he's like he's a really great trader um but he told me you know i met him originally and i asked you know what do you do like what do you do you know how do you how are you so consistent and stuff and he goes yeah it's a lot of playing and i don't i don't know video games very well so he's like it's a lot of playing star or starcraft and sitting on your hands you know he's like and he goes, and I think, and I think about that quote often. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and there's truth in it, where you know you kind of need something else to do while you're sitting there trading. While you're learning it, yes, it does require a lot of your full mental capacity. And like, yeah, you, there are times where there's downtimes and you need to spend the time researching. But you know, for the most part, like once you have like an orientation of what the market's trying to do. And you set what is the risk on, what's the risk off indicators, and like what, you know, what what is the orientation and all that stuff, right? Like there isn't much to do until something steps outside the system, right? And then you have to reevaluate what's going on. So kind of like not distract your brain, but like you have to prioritize like other things. Like yeah. Don't just prioritize the markets because then you'll make yourself crazy. Yeah, and I think that you can accidentally end up doing too much early on especially if you're trying to swing trade and trading's not your full time yeah like you will try to get through too many you'll try to go through too many trades you'll think about it every five minutes you'll jump out of trades you you can be like over trading very easily yeah you know and like you have to be content with with today's a setup day i'm gonna look for the best setups that i can find but i'm also gonna throw on the weather channel and stare at you know hurricane formations for five hours today because that's what fascinates me mm -hmm. you know and um i think there has to be like some peace with that because i think like a lot of a lot of the problem with trading especially like if you want to like really learn the game and and like get good at it is you know there isn't like a real school of knowledge that you go to and and like because like funds really like to teach by word of mouth. Like you learn from a mentor who pass it on and they pass it on and et cetera, et cetera. Right? right. And like the rules aren't really written down and um, you kind of, there's a lot of like trial by fire. There's a lot of like, you know, I mean, obviously like, yes, you go to school for financials, you go to all that stuff, but because it's so word of mouth, right. There's a lot of bullshit that can get like stuck in your head. That isn't true knowledge. And I think a lot of it too is like, 
like telephone like that game telephone yeah but so the you're gonna you're not gonna hear from the best people the loudest right mm-hmm. the loudest people are gonna be somebody that's trying to sell you something right yeah and normally what they're selling you is something false that keeps you attached to them right um yeah. and keeps you in their system and keeps you paying to them and they'll say markets are unpredictable and there isn't a lot because if you're good right like you don't need to be super loud and like and like try to use like how loud you are to to knock out you know to like compensate for your confidence in yeah. a way you know and i mean that's not always true right there's like and i'm not saying like there aren't good big accounts and there isn't like good famous traders like look at drunken miller or ackman or you know so i mean there's there's plenty of like good traders that that like find a system and it works and they're and they're very public about it and you know um they have their system um but like they're not handing out schools of knowledge and i think it's rare to find somebody that wants to really teach it too but that's part of the problem because now we've created this financial system where where wall street very much protects and tries to rob people that are that are entering into mm-hmm. the street right and um I don't think I don't know how much impact it's really had on the middle class, but I think it's had some pretty significant impacts, especially with with like four hundred one ks trapping people into four hundred one ks, you know, um, all kinds of all kinds of like financial devices that they've used, and they've they've depended on financial literacy to to really go for you know making sure that that like I don't know what to call them the you know like the masses are minimal in their power and ability to organize. Yeah. You know? And also like brainwashing in a certain certain way of like Yeah. making them follow these rules this way and don't Yeah. And you also have to be a little psychotic to want to tell the rules of the game. And yeah, I'm like You're going down a rabbit hole. I'm a hundred percent nuts. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, uh, I know what I'm doing. It's nuts. What are you doing? Like handing out the a lot of the secrets to the game and and explaining how to like. Oh yeah. What but I mean, you're doing use. it for good though. Like you're not doing it. Yeah, but like you know, people could argue like why? Like what's the what's the what's the thing? And the real thing is because I want to see. The world not crash and burn well yeah like it's unsustain in a way it's unsustainable right mm-hmm. and i want to see like i want to see you know the middle class get their fair due i want to see like lower class get their fair due like i i didn't have that upbringing and i like i want i want it to be handed out to as many people as not handed out but like like available to as many people as as possible you know yeah and um I think that it like in a way you have to be a little bit psychotic not to just become fully like dopamined out from like, you know, earning money or from, you know, just being like satisfied in, in whatever you're doing after a certain while. Like there has to be some weird psychotic competitive drive that just keeps you going. Like why the fuck does David Goggins, you know, still run a hundred miles? you know, races. Yeah. When he's already completed a hundred mile race, 
when there's thousands, millions of people that will never complete a hundred, you know, a hundred mile race. Yeah. And he has, he legitimately has no reason to do it. Like there's nothing chasing him, you know, he already was a Navy SEAL. He already did his time. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got, he's got no reason to do it right mental satisfaction but there is some mental satisfaction in like just doing it over again and being like that competitive crazy like psychotic person that just needs to like build and push limits and and go further and like it's like an internal competition with with yourself. yourself yeah like i reached this goal this is my next goal like i'm gonna run a hundred hundred mile race Okay, and then next year I'm going to run 300-mile races. Yeah, and then you almost start counting, like, I've done 300-mile races. And it's, like, that perfectionism. And it's, like, this, like, pursuit of I want to be perfect. And I need to be perfect. And I need to make, like, other things in my world perfect. Well, that's perfectionism. And that could – that – okay. I see what you're saying. That's where I'm going. That's where I'm going with it is that that's not, like – if you don't check it and you don't like and you don't like keep it within like a healthy parameters then it starts to become then it becomes the beast that owns you right normal. you're no longer the master of your own self you're yeah. you're driven by something that isn't like um that's not you you're not at the wheel right yeah i think like in order to like trade with with correct like clairvoyance like perfect clarity in order to be able to see right like you have to you have to find some way to to shed all your biases, to be able to be self aware, and to constantly like look and eliminate when your when your biases are starting to like override you. Yeah. Right. Like I struggle with perfectionism. That means that you know I can I might hold on to a call for too long because I am thinking no the call will work out in the end and I I can't bear the idea of failure. Right. I mean obviously that's not true. Right. Like I'm. I've worked through a lot of that. I'm very, I'm very okay with, with like failing and, and adapting and overcoming and. Right. But just as an example. But just as an example of it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so like you have to be cognizant of it and you have to be able to find some way to be self-aware so that you can be like unbiased and separate yourself from, from your ego and from your pride. So was it nice to take that break from the markets? Yeah. So to loop it all back. I had a great vacation. <laughs> you know, I it like it, it like, was like a hard stop, but now you're now I'm good. Back running. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm now I'm just you know, well, and then I'm like, man, I'm ready to hard run, and the markets are like, we're yeah. just chilling. Yeah. Yeah. And well, they, did Amazon make, do anything? Because it's Amazon Prime Day. It went up to one thirty two twenty six mm-hmm. after hours today. Oh, which is fantastic! It followed the call up, but so the gap up is at one thirty two twenty eight, I believe. In order for it to activate, so it's like just hanging under it, which makes me think something weird is going on with it. Either which way, I closed out this morning. Just took my profits and set it down on the table right like it just was like i'm good you know that's that's fine Mm -hmm. i've done enough with that swing yeah 
Same with like Boeing. Boeing went overnight from 191 to 198. And that's incredible. But early on, I saw call flow come in that was call selling. And even though I had a target of 205, I just had to quickly adapt and go, look, I just need to check down right here. Yeah. You know, three flows in a row that, that are all saying Boeing call sell 205. You know, at 198, I need to just I need to just take my profits and be happy. Mm-hmm. And then I had to do the same thing with Airbnb because sometimes you do. Like that wasn't originally the plan that I set up into this morning. The the plan I set up into this morning was I'm just going to cut a third across the board, trim down, and let things run and let it and let it just run higher. But obviously, like the data started presenting itself as it's a long trap, and I knew early on that it was. So like the quicker you you capture that profit, the better off you are, you know? Yeah. So. Is this a more like slow season right now? No, it's, it's, so what I was talking about in the daily today was this is a setup into CPI. So they use the FOMC minutes to, to crank it. Like, how do I explain this? So there is a bit of a neckline that spy, like the markets are, currently following following the retesting its neckline and um that neckline is at like 437.88 i believe i think that's i think that's where my algos have written to it you know mm-hmm. and um i watched so i was i was watching in the in the final 15 or so minutes and i i could kind of tell that yeah they're going to take it back higher after fomc minutes closed and they they faded it higher and my thought normally is is that if you if you fade it higher right into the ceiling you're most likely trying to plan it to drop it tomorrow because you need to test you need to show that there was actual physical proof that you tested the the neckline and rejected the neckline before you can start a reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's what they're going to do overnight. That was my thought early early on was that they'll fade it higher. The fade looks like it will drop into a cell, which is interesting, but not like incredibly interesting, just kind of interesting. <laughs> just kind of. <laughs> You ever you ever had that where it's like you're just like hmm interesting and it, and not like that's that's how I'm saying interesting most of the time not yeah. like interesting like <laughs> you know I'm like hmm interesting just I'll take that under consideration yeah. but um you're so funny <laughs> so. PPI came in slightly higher, unexpectedly higher. Mm-hmm. And then FOMC Minutes was talking about how they don't <laughs> – it's kind of funny in a way. They don't understand how G- GDP and unempl- – or how GDP is so strong, unemployment is so low, yet so many parts of the economy are not doing well. So many parts of the global economy are not doing well. They're not quite sure how the markets have been so resilient. They're not quite sure why uh, delinquencies in mortgages have remained low. 
but yet at the same time they see credit ballooning such as like credit card debt and credit card delinquencies and like all this stuff it's starting to like really crank up so in some areas if you look at it through the right lens it looks like the economy is about to explode and then if you look at it through the other lens the economy's never been better you know and the feds it, it's so funny the Fed is so confused. Like you can tell in their writing, they're so confused by it. Mm-hmm. And I think they have some hunches to it. Like it, it really appears to be that there's a structural change in the economy, the way that business is done, and that like there's been shifts. And like we've we've sort of known this, right? Because of COVID, a lot of like services changed, a lot of things changed. Economy, like the economy, sort of became more resilient because labor became more remote and because labor became more remote that means that it's way easier for labor demand in a certain part of the country to be met with supply anywhere else in the country because now you can work remote right so before like let's say like i don't know the 1970s right if there weren't any jobs in st louis but there were a ton of people looking for jobs and there were a ton of jobs in california but there weren't any people right that was that would have been impossible to like to get demand and supply to meet and so you would have inefficiencies in the economy that would eventually cause the economy to crash mm-hmm. right now with like the internet things have like changed like so fast so so fast paced right like m- especially because the united states is a services economy where we don't we don't provide so much goods like yes Relatively speaking, we provide a crap ton of goods, right? We build so much and we, we have so many factories, right? But the heart and soul of it is non-farm services, right? And it's, it's in a way the internet has made our economy so much more resilient because of it. And then at the same time, you have this demographic change where population size is starting to drop rapidly. But you have this problem where um, people can't start retiring because they've been robbed of their wealth for so long. Mm-hmm. Like wealth is, has accumulated in a very small amount of hands, right? Yeah. Like I forget what the statistic is, but it's something absurd. Like 90% of the wealth in the United States is held by less than 1% of the population, right? Yeah. Something like that. It's it's like it's out of this world, mm-hmm. right? So people can't retire. They have to work longer. They have to they have to work jobs longer, right? Yet the population is dropping. So there's increased demand for jobs, and there's not enough supply because the population continues to drop. At the same time, too, people are hanging on for as long as they can to stay in jobs because they don't have retirement security anymore right yeah and so the fed i think like it's kind of funny like you it's like watching like blind mice kind of like feel around an elephant and try to guess what the fuck the elephant is right (laughs) like you can you can see it because you're the observer yeah but you know the fed the fed only has like past data and they're not allowed to really take like liberal stances and interpretations of like what's going on, 
right? Because they have a job to do and they have to do it strictly by the book and they have to do it strictly by what data they're given, right? And people go, oh my God, the Fed's so blind. Yeah, they're built to be blind. That's exactly how how they yeah. were set up, right? Right. Um, like they're built to turn a blind eye. Not turn a blind eye. It's, it's that they can't look... So... The Fed can only use old economic data to make future policy decisions. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. So they they have to drive a truck using a rear view mirror only. Mm-hmm. And guess what's in front of them? Only using the rear view mirror looking at where they've been. Yeah. They can't forward project. I mean, like, yeah, they can kind of forward project in some things, right? But even then, like, therefore, projections are very politically weighted. They have to answer to Congress. Like, they, they can't be like, yeah, the economy's going to shit, you know. And also, too, like, they have no motivation to say the economy's going to shit because they're intrinsically motivated to make sure the economy works. Like, they're doing their job if the economy is strong. So they're stuck between this hard rock of, get rid of inflation but the only way to get rid of inflation now at this point really is you have to make things break and you have to sort of crash the economy in some ways right and they've like tried to do it but the problem is is that at the same time they've built a decade that makes their tools not work on the other side so mm-hmm. if like they want to crash the economy now which normally what they would do is they would put pressure on mortgages and houses in housing right but because they kept rates for so low for so long it doesn't work because people are just happy to stay in their house and they don't have to go anywhere because now all the jobs are remote, right? It's, it's a services, it's a remote services economy. So they're not pressured to like, well, we got to move to California and yeah, the rates are higher and I guess we'll just have to cut back on our spending, right? They're, they're not pressuring consumers in the same way that they used to pressure them. Yeah. So like, honestly, if like Congress was smart, they would start looking at things like off, like, like, they would start looking at like unrealized taxes and corporations. They would start looking at other things, other other pieces of the economic ecosystem on the macro scale that they could hit to to rein in the inef- like the inefficiencies within the economy mm-hmm. to to really like pull cash back out so that the economy can return back to to proper efficiency and that liquidity can return to proper efficiency. And then the economy can grow at the correct rates going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so part of that too is there's another, there's another issue. So you remember, right? I I said that population was collapsing. Yeah. So I've talked about this before. If you're, if you're looking at liquidity, a great way to think about liquidity and the Fed is think about a, a car engine and pouring oil into the car engine, right? Yep. Too much oil, you flood the engine, it it's, you know, it it breaks it, right? Mm-hmm. Destroys it. That's overly liquid. You've you've poured too much cash into into the markets. The mar- there, you know, it overheats, it floods, it doesn't work. That's inflation, right? Yep. They've done that through quantitative easing. Yep. If you if the engine starts to run too low, right? They're draining the engine out with with too much oil, right? Too then little it's, oil. Or too little oil. They it starts to skid, right? It starts to it starts to like catch fire and, and like eventually like 
the the engine blows up, right? It's it's over. It starts to like it just like skids and, and it's overexerting, right? Yeah. That's illiquid, right? Think yeah. there isn't anything greasing greasing the engine to to keep it running efficiently, right? And then like you have like the perfect efficiency, the equilibrium of liquidity, where there's just enough cash in the system, right? And the Fed's constantly trying to do this. They're constantly pouring oil into the into the engine and they're constantly taking oil out, right? When they're quantitatively tightening, they're they're taking oil out. And that's what they're trying to do by raising rates, right? Mm-hmm. But for some reason now like the engine is is like changing its structure. So it it needs oil in a different way, right? And so to tie this back now, just I wanted to give that metaphor so that you so that like people could just kind of visualize that, mm-hmm. right? Population demographics are dropping, as I said earlier, right? But they're still projecting GDP to to be strong, right? So if you have about like a growth of like plus two percent GDP um, year over year, like you have a strong economy, like it's that's like a that's a good rule of thumb that you've had like a great year for your economy, yeah. What is GDP? GDP is like the gross domestic product. It's how many products you make in the year. You you're constantly hoping that your GDP is greater than the year before, right? So plus two percent, right? You want it to be two percent more than it was last year. Mm-hmm. How do you? So if your economy worked at at uh, last year at the amount of cash that you had in the system, right? And now this year it's two percent bigger, right? Mm-hmm. Well, now there's an inefficiency because the economy, like oil, isn't like it's a bigger engine they got to run through, so their oil isn't making it to all the parts that it needs to make it to. Yeah. Right. So um, that's why they say like plus two percent inflation is our goal. The Fed does right. They say each year we want we want there to be about. Two percent inflation year over year. That's our goal, right? And the reason why they do that is because they're thinking that the economy is going to grow by two percent. So they got to add two percent cash back into the economy, so the economy has enough cash to keep growing and growing and growing, right? So that inefficiencies don't occur, the engine doesn't blow up, you know, like banks don't fail, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So the demographic, the population demographic, is starting to, to shrink. That means that inherently there's less consumers within the market, right? Mm-hmm. So, but you've already over flooded the engine. So the engine's starting to shrink and you're trying to take oil out of the engine at whatever rate, right? But it's shrinking. So as you're like taking oil out, out it's, it's still, it's not enough. You're still not taking out enough. Yeah. Right. So you just have this perpetual inflation that that like lasts for a long time as the pop as the population demographic collapses, it it like it doesn't go away. Inflation actually gets worse, right? Because they're not taking cash out of the system fast enough because they didn't predict or didn't look at the de- at the you know at the population demographics, right? Mm-hmm. And take into account that yes, Cash can be added to the system, but like you have to get it to align to to the right amount of like people within the economy. Yeah. Right. And if you're making the people poorer in the economy, their purchasing power is going down. So the consumers can purchase even less, which 
So it starts becoming like this self-hurting cycle of, well, now you're, now your consumers are poorer. The economy's smaller, right? Um, now, you know, consumers can afford even less because there's, there's like less jobs available mm-hmm. and they can't retire and they can't like put the money back into the economy to help it grow. Right. So you've essentially like killed it in a way with stagflation. That's why, that's why the Fed goes. I think we're thinking about it being higher for longer, right? Because in reality, this is a stagflation. Yeah. Right? And it's a very serious issue because people don't realize that they're about to get significantly poorer year over year. Unless they know how to keep up with inflation, right? Like if you can earn extra cash, if you can earn it through trading, if you can pick up an extra job. Mm-hmm. And like underemployment's a huge issue within the economy too. Yeah. You know? So I don't know. That felt interesting, but I don't know. I don't know how to tie that all back to what was going on today. <laughs> so CPI is going to be like higher tomorrow probably because PPI was was higher. Yeah. And um, if CPI is higher, the dollar strength will remind, re- remain higher. And Like cash on hand? No, uh, Dixie, like literally Dix- DXY. The mm. U.S. dollar index will remain elevated mm. if there's a hotter CPI. And then what does that mean? And then that means that stocks will will most likely come back down. So, I so in my head I was thinking about it like a hard fall. Not like a hard fall, I don't think. So this is this is sort of how I've envisioned it. I just want to see sort of like the way the algos have lined up. I just sort of want to see a retest of four, of like 430. We're at like 437.88 right now. You go back down, you test 430, you bounce, you test higher, maybe retest the neckline and then bounce lower back down into 422. And then you have to start getting into arguments of like, is it fair value? And you're at the back half of October, so ERs kick off. And depending on how ERs report, I mean, banks will be a pretty good indicator, I think. Also, like, uh, Delta Airlines reports tomorrow morning, and I'm really interested in what they have to say because they're a great way to to measure consumer discretionary spending. And, like, if consumer spending is – or uh, consumer demand is softening, it – um. It's going to be a lot. It's going to be big trouble. Like it, you're looking at at, uh, at an oncoming recession. Essentially, if people are cutting travel during a travel season, especially you know into the holidays. I thought I read an article the other day that one of the major airlines are cutting a lot of their employees because they're not needed. Yeah, like their hours are getting very, very short. Travel's starting to fizzle, I think. Yeah. What I what I've seen, what I've read. Yeah. People are starting to realize like part of the problem with stagflation is you don't realize that you're being slowly boiled. And part of that is because like you're financially illiterate. You don't understand how much of an impact uh inflation is constantly compounding on your wallet. You're constantly losing like year over year. 
a per, like several percents, you know, real inflation, like, like compounds. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell you, yes. Uh, CPI reported, I don't know, 3.8% year over year. Right. Mm-hmm. You go, okay, good. So inflation is coming back down. Eventually it'll be zero. No, that just means that it's 3.8% higher than it was this time last year. Right. Yeah. I'm reset. And the month so before that, not, it yeah. was also 3.8% higher yeah. than the year before. That means that you're constantly taking a a gliding hit. Yeah. And your 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 own purchasing power is becoming constantly devalued. That's why like it's good to stockpile early when a stagflation is happening. You know? Because if you're if you know your purchasing power is going down, you need to reserve as much as you can in terms of cash flow going out. Right? Mm-hmm. You need to save as much as you can. You need to stockpile early when your purchasing power is higher than in, say, like two years when your purchasing power is significantly lower. Yeah. You know? And the problem with stagflation is that it could go on for years, right? Like, uh, and it's hard to say because we don't have great economic records around stagflation, but, you know, it can last for a decade if, if, you know, the Fed doesn't truly understand the problem that's occurring. If markets don't just like crash, like one of, one of the great ways to to get inflation out of the system is just crash the markets. But the Fed is so driven by their mission, right, that they must keep markets higher. Um, that you you like they're they're divided between slaying what they they need to slay to pr- to protect the thing that's causing it. Yeah. And it's so backwards. Yeah. You know? Is it because they want to just make sure that they they don't lose out? No, the fa- well, yeah, I mean like obviously over? like let's look at it from a pragmatic view, right? No one wants a recession. Mm-hmm. No one wants jobs to be lost. No one wants an economy to fail, mm-hmm. right? If an economy fails, that means that like if you're rooting for an economy to fail, that means that you're in the economy too, buddy. Like, you know, like you're going to fail with them. You, yeah. There isn't anything that's going to save you. Just because you predicted it doesn't save you. Right. You know? And I think that's like one of the things that I'm like, I'm so like, it's not that I'm disgusted by bears because I'm equally disgusted by like bulls. Like anyone that's a perma bull or a perma bear and can't just look pragmatically at what the issues are in front of us. Right. They're just, they're so biased. Yeah. Beyond their views. Um, they don't realize what they're wishing for. A bear, you know? A bear doesn't understand how many people are going to die because the, the unemployment rate has gone up, you know? They don't understand how many kids are going to go hungry. Yeah. By uh, underemployment happening in, in the economy. Right. Right? They don't understand how how by the economy crashing how it might create perpetual generations of of poor like poverty poverty yeah right and it's the same thing with with the other side of bulls right perma bulls don't understand how much uh how much the market driving higher uh causes inflation to go higher which then causes people to starve right 
That's the same argument. You got to stay within the golden mean of, of it. You don't want markets to go too high. You don't want markets to go too low, right? You want markets to drop down to a level that's, that's fair value. That's a little bit below fair value, yeah. right? For an extended amount of time that allows for cash to exit the system, right? And then you can bring it back higher and that's fine. But neither side can get it out of their head, mm-hmm. right? And the Fed is constantly like, like, oh God, it dropped, send it back up, you know, push it back up. And they don't realize that, that by doing that, they, they give it themselves another hit and they, they bring themselves closer to death, you know, in a way. And that death is mostly imaginary because you can shred debt, turn it around, you know, uh, collateralize it, you know, send it to other nations that will buy your debt, have the debt, you know, like it's, there's so many tricks you can do with debt. It's actually really cool. Yeah. Especially because debt's imaginary. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. As long as you can make your interest payments, no one cares. Yep. And um, and really what debt is supposed to do is supposed to temporarily allocate inefficiency to another part of the economy. You know? But a, bo- no one... a consumer needs A consumer needs a car. You know? Yeah. And the lender doesn't need a car. Yeah. So they uh, so they allow the economy to grow by lending. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I, I should step down from my soapbox. I've I just gave. You just like went into it. I went into so many different details about yeah. the the little different though. mechanisms. Yeah. How long do you think that rant was for? You think that's enough for a class lecture? I think I can just. A class lecture. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think that was probably like a 20-minute. A 20-minute lecture. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was good. Where are we at? What do you think? Where are we at? Yeah. Um, 48 minutes. Oh, that's close. 49 minutes. Mm. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think is going to happen with CPI? You think it's going to be higher? I think CPI is going to come in higher. I, I think... Dixie has been hanging around too high for too long for it not to be preparing to reverse back higher. Mm-hmm. I think I think FX traders have caught caught a whiff of you know the game the game isn't right right now. Something's wrong, something's amiss and you can do some you can do some mathematics and start to piece things together that inflation is likely coming back around. I I don't know by how much, you know, I just it's not it's not dropping the way it should be dropping if there wasn't a structural and demographic issue occurring. Yeah. I think that people that are smart enough, they can put it together, two and two together, mm-hmm. and realize that inflation isn't going to drop. Yields aren't going to drop. They're going to stay higher because the economy shrinking means that really you, even though even though you are technically higher by by having, so there's a, there's a rule of thumb that, in order to bring inflation down, the Fed rate must be higher than than the inflation rate, right? Yeah. So technically, they've done that. It's at five two five, and um, you know, core inflation is at four eight or whatever, right? Yeah. If real inflation is actually at uh, let's just say eight point four percent, right? And that's what they need to do actually to catch up to the economy. That means that they need to get to eight five. Uh, zero mm-hmm. to to actually start really bringing the economy down 
in meaningful ways. So they're like half-assing it. So they have it like half on right now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And like the effects do like, I mean, like it's a steadier way to keep it on. Right. But it's going to drag your economy for longer. Yeah. Instead of potentially getting the cash out of the system and then start allocating cash back in efficiently, which like it's sort of like, why wouldn't you want to try to do that as fast as you can? And minimize the minimize the time, you know, because the longer you drag it, the more consumers and businesses and like and whatever else are gonna fail as it goes on. It makes makes the problem consecutively worse because it it's it's constantly compounding and it's causing like spirals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, chaos, chaos. But the problem is that the chaos. Like, it's not that the chaos will eventually meet its reckoning day. That's where, like, people get it wrong. Yeah. Right? The debt is never going to be called, you know? No one's ever going to call and and go pay your loan back today, right? I mean, in some cases they will, right? Or the repo or whatever, right? But on a on a country level, no one's making those phone calls, right? They're They're letting the debt run because they're just as equally in debt as you are mm-hmm. right the problem is is that it causes severe levels of pain within populations for extended periods of time so it just makes it fucking miserable to fucking live you know seriously i mean uh-huh. it does for like a decade like you want to deal with this for a decade i don't oh we might not if we don't get a grip on it what positive thinking, Merlin? <laughs> but that's the but that's the thing, though. Like, I know. Like, like doomers go. It's gonna it's gonna all just blow up. It won't blow up. It's very well organized. It's very good. They know exactly how to have debts and how to like turn it around and, and repackage it and make it look fancy and send it over to Japan and Japan send it over to you know I don't know somewhere else right and. And, you know, make it, make it all look, uh, you know, make it all sort of disappear off the books. But the problem is, is that the pain doesn't go away, mm-hmm. right? You can't stop the spirals that you, that you started with the wage, with wages or with corporate, corporate corporations raising prices so that they can increase profit margins or, right? Like there, all of a sudden this inflation expectation becomes entrenched. So I have a question. Yeah. There's like this huge argument, like the cost of living is so high, people can't even afford to pay for their mortgage or their rent with their their full time job that should cover. Right. So the argument is, well, I could if we just get a raise. Right. Like if I get paid more hourly, but what does that do to the market? So it's called wage spiraling. That that's what the Fed worries about. Mm-hmm. Um, wage spiraling is when employees all of a sudden go, I can't afford any of this. Give me a raise. Right. So we're seeing that with like the United Auto Workers mm-hmm. in Detroit asking for a 40% raise. Yeah. Right. Which, I mean, fair enough. Right. Like their CEO got a 40% raise. Why wouldn't, you know, everyone else get a, a raise in line with, with the CEO, whatever. Right. Fair enough. We'll just we'll say it's fair enough yeah. for now. 
um, if they all ask for it, in order for for the business to cover it, sometimes they do the no. They, sometimes they do the no no that they shouldn't do, which is like they like their profit margins at twenty percent. How do you keep those profit margins at twenty percent? Because your direct labor just became way more expensive, right? Oh well, I'll just raise prices. Then all of a sudden you have this issue because then all of a sudden your employees again can't afford the prices you just raised, mm-hmm. right? To keep your profit margin. Yeah. And then and then they go, well, we demand another raise. And so it send and so they raise it and then they raise prices again and employees ask for another raise and. And then it, it spot is that's when it begins to spiral. There's a there's like this destructive loop. It, it's like similar to like the like the Weimar, you know, where um, all of a sudden now there's like so much cash and it's becoming devalued and it, it doesn't mean anything. And like it's sort of like at the same time, like you can tell like okay, it's it's corporate greed causing it, but how do you regulate it? Right. Well. You could put caps on like this amount of CEO raises. You could, yeah, like some people have proposed that there should be a ratio between what the CEO can be paid and the lowest paid worker in in their company, right? Like it should only be like 10x or 20x or something, right? Um, and like that will help keep things in check. Mm-hmm. Or that you know uh you can't you can't go like a certain consecutive amount of years of increasing profit margin by increasing price right simply without also uh you know increasing like your la- your labor like some people sometimes like to do that uh like Denmark tried to do that i think with cola it's cost of living adjustment so like they pegged whatever the inflation rate is to uh to worker salaries and that was the minimum wage so the minimum wage went up goes up each year in denmark by whatever the inflation rate is Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to disincentivize corporations from playing the game Mm -hmm. i think honestly one of the ways is that like you you just have to tax you have to tax them a bit harder and and look for unrealized gains because that's a that's a cheap way that they get around it yeah um I mean, like, fair enough, like, congrats for playing the game, you know, or like trying to trying to keep your your foreign currency in, um, you know, Vietnam and not converting it so you don't have to pay tax. Yeah. In U.S. dollar. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, fair enough. Like, that was smart. You played the system like the system was built that way. You played to the rules. Congratulations. Like, you're just playing the game. You found the loophole. You found the loophole. You're just playing the game as the game is meant to be played. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, then, like, honestly, we just need to fix the game, right? Because if that's, if there is an inefficiency happening in the economy, such as wage spiraling, where where there isn't any progressive movement between class like classes, where like middle class isn't progressively becoming richer at the same pace as like like the top one percent then you you have a regressive society and that creates larger issues for your economy in the long run it creates instability 
and eventually it like causes economic upheaval and we don't we don't really want that right like we don't want to see the economy get trashed we don't want to see you know too much pain and there doesn't need to be a ton of like struggle over it we just need to be smart about our our approaches for it and the problem is is that you know the the tool that you're using to be smart about the approach right is the most inefficient machine ever created which is the government Mm -hmm. you know the government's not built on efficiency it's built on accountability Mm -hmm. The, the government will not will never ever run as fast as you think it should run because every dollar must be accounted for and it must be explained what that dollar was used for and it must be checked by five different people and you must go to a congressional hearing and you know like you have to ask the okay of like five different levels of people right and you have to budget it every single year because you know crs get passed and there's never an actual budget that gets passed that so you can't really plan out you're spending over five years yeah and be responsible about it and you're constantly trying to grab more cash so there's like a lot of inefficiencies that we don't even regulate within the own U.S. government, as well as like the private markets too. You know, it just sounds like we need a big old reset button. <laughs> you sound like a Thomas Jefferson. Thomas <laughs> Jefferson thought that like democracy should be overthrown every certain amount of years, because eventually inefficiencies occur, yeah. and honest like dishonesties happen, and the only way to keep people like truly honest is by like well it's like looking at it honestly and and like going does this still work why cheat steal like yeah it's just how it goes sometimes yeah but then it fucks everyone else so yeah it's um it's not an easy solution there's there's definitely no easy answers to any of this and um you know it it starts with like fixing a lot of like small things that are causing big issues and it's a lot of nuance and it's a lot of boring things that regular people don't won't understand or vote for you know or or know how to ask for so yeah anyways today was pretty boring Nothing happened. Yeah. Nothing happened. So you got to hear me talk about how the U.S. economy is exactly structured. You got to walk through my mind with me on how I (laughs) structure the U.S. economy and how each piece interacts with each other. Yeah. It's like a big old puzzle in your head. But it makes sense, you know, and it's very, it becomes very, like the system becomes very predictable. You always teach me something new. You're welcome. No worries. 600 years of teaching you something new, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lucky woman I am. Yeah. All right. I think I think that's enough of me ranting. I think we should just call it a wrap. All right. We'll put out another one later this week. We will? Yeah. Okay. Say Wednesday? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. All right. We'll try. We're try. We're going to do it this weekend. Well... For the first time in like a month, this was the Wiz Merlin Uncensored. That doesn't even feel like the real name of the podcast, you know, like <laughs> the Wiz the Wiz Merlin Uncensored. Um I also have a paid Substack that allows me to do these kinds of things. And thank you so much, Tribe, for supporting us. You know, I love doing this. I I love teaching you guys. And um I love 
making sure that, you know, we're taken care of and, and that the tribe succeeds. So so many new faces. And yeah, God, we've grown so fast. Yeah. The discord is coming. I've just, I've become a perfectionist about it. And um, you also became very ill. I also became extremely ill that like I, I literally couldn't even work, you know, so uh, you'll have to forgive me for that delay. That delay. <laughs> You're yeah. so tired. I'm finishing your sentences now. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're about to fall asleep. I am. Yep. All right. Well, I love you very much. Thank you for doing this pod. Love you too.